This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. I'm Glenn McGeek from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Wendy Ying from Sarasota, Florida, and you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for July 2nd, 2020. This episode is brought to you by the American Driving Society. Good morning, horse world! Why not try tandem driving, or better yet, driving llamas? Vicki Sunberg of the Southern States Llama Association shares the joys of driving llamas. We talk tandem with Paul Van Sickle. Kathleen Hake helps us pick the right size shafts. Kitty Cadwell shares her Tremont training tip. And on the TCVM segment, we discuss some summer treats for your hot horses. Listen in. That's a lot of show, Wendy. It's a lot of show. Well, I know. When I was writing that, I was like, shit, we have so much going on. Well, and llama driving. I mean, we haven't had a good, weird driving thing in a long time. I know. We need to make sure to do like at least tw- two of those a year. Yeah, we've, we've covered a lot of different driving animals over the years, but uh, I don't, I'm excited to hear about llama driving. <laughs> so. One of my favorite was that crazy guy that drives the dogs in Germany. Yes. Remember that guy? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I want that guy back on. We'll have to have an update. <laughs> After he hears this, I'm not sure he's going to want to come back on. <laughs> he was fun, though. He was fun. He, he'll love to come back on. That guy was super fun. <laughs> he was a lot of fun. Well, I hope you're doing well. Are you back to a full boat of veterinary services in the Sarasota? Well, it's hit or miss, yeah, you know, like still slow. some people it's it's like, I'm sure this is like this everywhere. Some people are not wanting to go out and they're quarantining and other people are wanting to go out and about. So it's 50, 50, 50, 50. Well, your dog, your, your animals still need their things done though. Right. Um, so they still do. Yeah. And, um, you know, a Chi Institute, we have really backed off classes because people fly in from all over the world. So that's been a lot of online stuff that people can do their lectures uh, online. You know, the other day on Monday, I was talking to Jamie about how with the European Union banning people from the United States, thanks to our state, mostly, um, they're it's going to put an impact on the horse world, right? There will be no drivers, oh, yeah. no drivers going to Europe, which, you know, the Chester Weber, he must feel weird. Usually he's, he's not around here usually this time. Um, yeah, that's true. And, you know, and that's also stops them come from over here to do something and then going back. Mm-hmm. So yeah. clinics, all of that stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's all affected. Plus horse shopping. You're not going to be going to Germany horse shopping. No, uh, you're not going <laughs> horse shopping. No. So, I mean, now it's only fair that they closed us off because we closed them off earlier. So it's just, (laughs) it's revenge. Well, Uh, I mean, if you're going to, if you want to, if you really are serious about stopping infectious disease, you have to stop 
infectious disease. Travel. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. It's like for vets, this is easy thing. Like, okay, you have strangles. Nobody can leave this farm. Quarantine. But when you're dealing with humans, it's a lot harder to quarantine humans. Well, I actually think that's a good point. I actually think that's partly in Europe they can do that because each country is the size of one of our states. And each country yeah. can restrict travel, right? Where we can't do that in the United States. So we got we really have 50 countries here. That right. uh, you know, and the way it's been lately, that's the way it's been. It's like been 50 countries that are really yeah. controlling their own populations, but yet people are driving all the time. People are traveling yeah. all the time. So and so here in Sarasota, um, our first, when it very first happened, we had like three or four cases. And 100% of those cases were people that flew down here from New York to go on vacation. And now, ironically, we New can't York. go to New York. <laughs> well, so. I know, who would want to? But, you know, the thing right, is, that's New what York, happens. All our New York listeners, you can write to <laughs> Wendy. And- <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. Like, if it was like a dog with Parvo... You'd like say, okay, well, this dog has to stay here or this horse has to stay here and wash your hands. Don't touch other horses. Yeah, it's it's a strange time we live in there, buddy. But strange people, time. <laughs> I don't know. It's the, the disease process is the same for all, all of them, but. You know what I say? No matter what political spectrum you're on or where you're at politically or any of that stuff, the disease doesn't care. It really no. doesn't care. The no. virus does not care. Does not care what you think. Does not care any of that. It and just does like, what a virus the, does, right? We had the show early on when it first happened. Yeah. And we talked about the immune system. Yep. Right? I mean, it's going to affect different people differently. Like, I have a horse that has EPM, and his whole life, he's had a, a unstable immune system, right? He has allergies, which means his immune system's going crazy, and he is always the one that would get sick. So... Like he's high risk for all kinds of things. That's why he has EPM. And and same with humans. There are humans that always get the flu every year or they have weakness of other things. And those people have to be more careful. Or like you, we talked about that with Lyme disease. Yeah, that's why. And miasma. But th- that combination is really great for this one. I know. Uh, now, or I, I have did... a friend that's a firefighter, you know, and his lungs are scarred from years of running into burning buildings. Oh, yeah, that wouldn't be good. So he's like nervous, you know, he should be because he's, uh, you know, older guy, retired firefighter. So he's being extra careful. The one thing that's not getting a lot of press and I read yesterday, we haven't talked to actually we haven't talked on the show a lot about the virus since it went political. Um, but I did read in Arizona, they're having a terrible time. I mean, that they Texas and us are the worst, right? With Florida leading the way. <laughs> But um, one of the things they're showing out there that's different now in this kind of, you know, uh, uh, second wave thing is that 50% of the people in the hospital are under 50. Mm-hmm. So it's much younger group that's in the hospital right now than was three months ago. And that 30% of the people in the ICO, ICU are under 50. Yeah. So that's different than it was a couple of months ago. So they're not sure why that is, and they're, we'll be watching that trend too. You know, is it getting more virulent for younger people, or what's going on, or just more younger people getting it? So the numbers are just higher, right? Uh, that's right. the other thing. There's certain just law of numbers and averages here. Uh, or I know you'd like to call me a conspiracy theorist. 
but maybe I'm right. And it's a weaponized, it's a bioweapon, and this is how it's supposed to act. It's just getting worse as it goes. Maybe they can, maybe they can. Are they seeding it with their alien spaceships? Yeah, they can flip a switch. Oh, yeah, they, they prove the aliens are real now. So they can flip a switch and it affects, it has, it expresses different genes and attacks a different population once they think it's safe and they start going out again. <laughs> One thing if I was going to make a bioweapon, that's what I'd do. So I got to tell everybody that if you're a new listener here, Wendy is the most scientific conspiracy theorist person you're ever going to meet. <laughs> she is an absolute scientist veterinarian, but yet, if there's a conspiracy theory, she's all over it. You are yeah, a strange dichundrum of... That's of, because I know what's possible. <laughs> but as we, if you knew what I knew, you'd feel the same way. <laughs> well, coming up first in the show today, as always, we have Kathleen with the Carriage Association of America. Well, Kathleen is back from the Carriage Association of America doing our Carriages 101 segment. What's going on, Kathleen? Well, I don't know about you, but we've been spending a lot of time on Facebook recently. And one of the things that we've been watching is these virtual horse shows, which gives us an opportunity to see a lot of turnouts and see what people are doing right and maybe what we need to improve on. And it's been quite interesting. One of the judges had commented that he's really looking for overall impressions uh, because they're looking at them fairly quickly and you can only see so much in a photo. And one of the big things that he looks at is to make sure that your line of draft is correct and that your shafts are the correct length for your turnout. What's line so of draft you wanna, mean? So your line of draft is how your um, it goes from the horse's shoulder and your traces coming back to your vehicle. You want to make sure um, that your horse is at the right angle so that he's pulling the easiest available option for him. And so that's all about angles. And if you have your vehicle set um, incorrectly, like the balance is off, or if the shafts are too long or too short for the horse, um, it can affect how they pull. While that may not be an issue if you're only going out for 15 minutes, the idea is to have your horse the most comfortable, most efficient that they absolutely can be. And so that's um, something that whether we're in the show world or whether we're out on the trails, we really need to be taking a look at. And one of the first things that happens when we talk to new people in general is we give them this list. Um, they say, oh, how do I know what type of vehicle will fit my horse? And whether it's the American Driving Society or the Carriage Association of America or an international organization, one of the first things we do is hand them this chart that has a list of shaft lengths and widths. So there was a gentleman named Gordon Cantle. He passed away in 2002, but during the mid-1970 uh, to 1990 range, he wrote a lot of articles that were about the balance and of vehicles, the draft of vehicles, and how wheels work and how um, this all comes together to make your horse the most uh, efficient driving machine that it can be, uh, which sounds quite technical. And it was, this is where your math teacher said, someday you will use this. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, the uh, incline plane. 
Yeah, he talks about like the angle of this trace is 14 degrees to the horizontal, which is less than the ideal angle for the horse, and the optimal angles for rough surfaces is the largest angle available for the design conditions imposed. Right? That right. That's a little technical. Considering right. most people couldn't <laughs> read back then, that didn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, but actually this all started back in um, 1663, and the carriage builders of the time were realizing that they really needed to figure out a more efficient way to build carriages. They weren't necessarily ready for the assembly line, but they were realizing that there were some things that needed to be uniform. And that included uh, the height of the shafts, that they figured out some things like back then everything was custom made to the driver. So they um, figured out that if you were six, six foot tall, that you would probably need a seat at this height. And I'm sorry, you're going to get a little bit of page background and uh, movement in the background because this is a little technical and I wanted to bring notes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but We're they so actually, lucky we have you with all this stuff. I'm yeah. glad you dig up all this stuff. It's really fascinating. I know. I, I really didn't know what I was getting into when I was like, oh, who's this guy? Uh, <laughs> and it's really <laughs> become this interesting thing. But it really, t it really explains how you can get a good basic ride in your carriage. And he does have it for both two-wheel and four-wheel vehicles. The two-wheel vehicles are designed for a traditional vehicle, so a gig-type vehicle. Mm -hmm. So if you, you really are, he's taking a look at how high your shaft should be from the, from the ground up to see if you have a 15-2 horse. He figured right. it out that this is where your shaft should be. And likewise, if you have a 15-2 horse, this is probably how long of a shaft you're going to need. And that's what this chart kind of gives you. Now, there are exceptions because um, back when this was really studied and even, even into the 1980s, there were carriage horses and they were used specifically for carriages, carriage driving, and they had a type. Now, today we tend to... We have a lot of draft crosses um, and things that make great driving horses, but are not traditional driving horses. And so you do have to take in that into consideration when they're talking about widths of shafts, because we all know that some horses are a little wider than others. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and that doesn't have to anything to do with spring grass. That's just the way they're built. And so <laughs> even if I take a, you know, Cleveland Bay and I put it up against a, Frisian standard red cross, they're going to be different widths in their shoulders and, and such. And so you have to take that into consideration if you go to an auction and are looking at vehicles. We often get asked, well, how wide should the shafts be? You need to be able to fit your horse in there comfortably. And there's not a real formula for that one, but um, you measure the width of the shoulders or the belly, whatever is the widest part on your horse. And then you need to be able to get you know, at least three, three or four inches in there mm -hmm. um, because they will expand during the spring and maybe not expand during the winter. Um, <laughs> it depends on your horse, you know, right. but um, the, that's what these charts do. And they give you a really great uh, starting point. And he took into consideration things like whether you were going to be on an easy, surf, uh, smooth surface or whether you were going to be on a rough surface because they are going to pull differently at that point mm -hmm. in time. And 
they also take into consideration um, what type of harness you're using um, or heated. It doesn't doesn't get into that so much in the in the shaft um, length chart, but um, he went with the assumption that you had a full collar on, and so yeah, he that makes he sense. pulled everything from the hame eye from the for the trace and mm-hmm. came back, and so he figured out all his line of drafts. Now I will tell you, I don't know about you, but I have always wondered, kind of in the back of my head, why sometimes it's spelled. Draft is spelled D-R-A-U-G-H-T. And, of course, you were working on this type of stuff with the engineer. And I thought, oh, he's English. Maybe it's we can blame it on the English. It's right. not. It's Swedish. It is? <laughs> it is. It's from, like, the 12th century. Oh, my gosh. Like, well, hmm. um, but it is pronounced draft, whether it's spelled the long way or the short way. Mm-hmm. So, um, so when we were looking at line of draft and, and making sure that, Basically, we want the traces to be running pretty parallel with your shafts. And that is one of the ways to get a nice line of draft and to be looking at that type of thing. In general, your um, shaft should not go past the point of the shoulder. And that gets confusing sometimes because we see these um, modern shafts that um particularly on like a marathon vehicle or something that don't come all the way to the shoulder they're designed to be um stop at the girth area yeah and so you have to remember that when you're looking at vehicles that this type of chart is made for a a traditional vehicle and not yeah i think that sometimes confuses people because like the like you said most of our modern vehicles or maybe introductory vehicles are going to have a different shaft length. They're, they're going to have closed loop shafts. Absolutely. And so if you're not familiar with a closed la- uh, shaft, so most shafts are pretty straight or they're swan necked, which we also call gig shafts, and they have a slight bend in them. Yeah. And when you have one that's closed, it just goes to the back pad and it's actually a loop. And, and that's what you put your, um, that's how everything is attached there. Um, and so they look different. Generally speaking, that type of shaft you can look at and just see and know that it's a closed loop shaft because it's literally that's what it is. It's also usually made of very modern material, yeah, um, which is, is easy to spot. Now, Kathleen, um, I think one of the biggest questions that people have starting out uh, is like the what you talked about is where the shaft should be from the ground and uh, where it should hit on the horse, mm-hmm. especially with two wheel carriages. Cause like, say you're in a, like a road cart or something. Right. Right. And that height you want to, you want your carriage to be balanced so that you're not pointed down or pointed up in your carriage, but then it all depends on the size of your horse. So this chart can help people buy the right size vehicle to begin with because there's not a lot of room there for adjustment, right? Absolutely, because in the course between talking about 16-hand horses to 12-hand horses, mm-hmm. there's only a drop of, of a, not quite a foot. And so it's really a fine-tuning type thing that you have to get because yeah. like a 16-hand horse, the height from the ground under the shaft at tugs is for four foot no is that right four four foot four inches yeah 
that sounds right for a 16 hand. Yeah. And it, it's more, it's not that the math isn't right. It's that I have to make sure that I say it correctly. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so there's, you really, when you look at where it is, I mean, it's kind of hard to explain, but you really want it to, um, you're drawing your horse in half horizontal and mm-hmm. then finding uh, the sweet spot right behind the withers. And that's kind of where your saddle should be. Yeah. And then the shaft should run on that horizontal line or fairly close. And you kind of know that your vehicle is appropriately level when your seat is level for the most part. There are vehicles Mm -hmm. that are built to have a seat that's um, at an angle. And there are also like if you're holding your cart by the shafts and you get in the vehicle it should not weigh a lot. It should be very Which easy. Which is really for hard to do. You to might hold. want to have somebody else get in the vehicle because. But yes. Yeah, yeah. You can't hold it and get in at the same <laughs> yeah. time. Yes. That's My a two apologies. person job. Yes. It is a two person <laughs> job. It depends too. Some shafts, are, some shafts are straight. Some shafts are bent. Like I have the sprint cart with Fry and they're curved. Um, right. So those are a swan. I assume are a swan necked. Is that correct, Wendy? Um, no, they're just curved. They're not. Yeah. The, they're not the no, loopy no. ones at the end. Uh, no, but they come. They're straight. They're not closed loop shafts. But they are. They're they're swan necked. Not in the gig style. But they come up from the bottom of the cart and then come up. Right. Do like a little elbow. Right. You know, like he has a modern gig. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So so in his case. His shafts are attached lower on the vehicle, like almost near where his feet are. That's right. And then it comes up to the dash and then goes across so that it so that it does what you're saying, so that it runs in this horizontal line, uh, even though it has a lower center of balance because he has kind of a marathon-y kind of cart. Okay. And also, sometimes, it, I hope I say this right, sometimes you have a drop heel set of shafts. And so the shaft point may be where they actually attach, maybe low. And then it comes kind of not 100% straight up, but fairly straight up and then curves and goes out. And those are particularly common on like sleighs and things like that. Yeah, that's what his that's what his carriage is like. Yeah, um, they must have adapted and, it from sleigh because the sleighs do have a low angle of draft. They do. So that makes sense. Yes. And so when you have the lower angle of draft, that's fine. But so to get the angle to be right for the horse to pull it, they have uh, that what they, I think those are dropped heel. I'm not hundred percent sure. I'm sorry if I'm saying the wrong word, but that's why it comes up to get that angle. And you can get those at different heights to adjust to a size horse that you're having pull. And I think Um, this whole topic is one thing from, from newbies that have talked to us, this is one of the most confusing things is the length of the shafts and where the, the height of the shafts. It has to be when you're new and have don't know anything and then trying to figure out the mess that is a harness um, and all of those straps that go everywhere. Uh, it's, it's confusing. And now in my case, it was easy because I called Wendy and made her drive three hours and uh, <laughs> helped me out. But um, it is confusing because you, know, you don't know what you don't know. Right. Right. So in general, if you if you know nothing, you have no paperwork, you have nothing. You go the length of your horse plus eighteen inches. 
I mean, and that'll give you a good starting spot. For the shafts. For the shafts. For the, shaft for the length of the shafts. From the, sh- uh, from the back of your horse to the dash is right in that 18 inches plus or minus, depending on what size animal you have. Now, that's one of the questions that comes up. I have a mini. This chart doesn't work for me. You know, no, and so you do. Yeah, there is not a, uh, there is not a chart for the minis. However, most of the carriage makers themselves have different charts that will tell you what size mini this will fit, and that's true even into the 1800s um, to the 1920s, 30s. And, but if you are going out to buy a used one, it's kind of hard to do that for the minis but basically you want to make sure that your horse on the in the shafts has enough room for its hocks to move to be able to stretch out and not hit anything behind it mm-hmm. okay and that's like the that's the main thing if you if you know nothing just make sure that your horse is not going to hit anything on the vehicle you know because there there's going to be some bucking yeah, if you hit, then there's, there's <laughs> going to be a problem. Now, I have to say, listening to the, I'm also in the auditor chat room, listening to people and watching people try to fit the correct saddle to a hard-to-fit horse, and I think, oh, I would much rather fit a harness <laughs> <laughs> or a cart. There, I so think, actually, with harnesses, is a little more leeway for mistake than there is with a saddle. And a little. as long as you're not driving every day for four or five hours a day there's a lot more leeway um but we still want to get the best fit in in everything that we can and um i will post the chart widths um and heights uh for you okay on the caa um website which is care excuse me caaonline.com and then we'll also have it on the facebook page which is carriage association of america Great. That sounds terrific. Well, thank you, Kathleen. That it is one of those areas that's very difficult to to get to get when you're brand new, um, and you don't have Doctor Wendy in driving distance. So, <laughs> right, well, you, but you know what? It. That that's it's great that CAA they have so many things like this that help us. So you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Just get this chart. Find yourself a friend that can help you. Yes. And, and this gentleman Kathleen? literally reinvented the wheel. I mean, he did the research <laughs> to make sure that you were, it was 100%. In yeah, this guy already so. did it. So now we don't have to. Yes. Yes. <laughs> absolutely. All right. Very well, good. So Appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. Well, our sponsor since we started the driving radio show 10 years ago now or whatever it is has been all along the American Driving Society.org, and we're happy to be part of their group. And uh, one of the things they do is kind of keep, they keep the rules enforced in driving, and they do that through judges and TDs, right? Yeah, that's right. The, the, you've probably heard of the saying a, what a licensed official is, and there's a process you go through um, to become a licensed official, which is either a judge or a TD. And um, it's now is a great time to start reading your rule book and studying. And it's not hard, especially if you've gone through as a sh- someone that shows. But also, even if you don't show, uh, you can um, if you've been a volunteer at shows or you've been a navigator, there are many people that have done it that way. Uh, also, horse show managers. Licensed officials have to deal with the show managers. 
Um, and you also have to know, like we said, you have to know your rules. So get the most um, current copy of your ADS rulebook and read that. Yeah, they have. Uh, I was on their website, and they have a page on the website actually that uh, goes through the whole process. And you can, you start it with your learner application, and mm-hmm. you know learners get to do certain things like work with volunteers, uh, evaluate driving, and they really want you to have some driving experience for for that to be an official. But yeah. if you have that and would like to look into being an official, the application process and all the information is on the ADS website. You can find it at americandrivingsociety.org. Well, our next guest is Vicki Sundberg of the Southern States Llama Association. And she is a retired Air Force electrical engineer. And she must be an adrenaline junkie because now <laughs> she drives llamas. So welcome, Vicki. Welcome to our show. I'm so excited to hear about all your llamas. Well, thank you, Wendy. I am excited to be here. So thank you for inviting me. Well, um, I mean, let's start with the most obvious question. How did you get started driving llamas? Okay. So um, you mentioned that I was part of the Air Force and I was out on the weekend and ran across a sheep herd um, dog competition and they had a llama there. And I fell in love with the llama and um, I knew I couldn't possibly have it right then. So I had a chance to do some research and I heard about not only owning llamas, but driving llamas. And I was like, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, wouldn't that be the coolest thing ever? And um, (laughs) then when I get old, instead of going into a wheelchair, I could have the llamas driving me (laughs) around, you know, I, you know, that would be just the, the cat's meow. Right. Right. And so um, before I ever retired, my stepdaughter called me up and she said, you can't believe what's out in front of my house. I said, I have no idea. And she goes, there is a llama pulling a cart and it is right in front of my house. I said, okay, what have you been drinking? What have you been drinking? (laughs) You know? And so she goes, no, really? So that's how it began. I, we moved down to where the David's children are at. And in Wilmington, North Carolina, and lo and behold, that's where this family was that owned a llama that they had taught to pull a cart. So you tracked her down and you made her be your best friend. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) You will be my best friend no matter what. (laughs) And so um, it was it was meant to be. Right. And so I had that was 2002 and I got my first two llamas in 2003 and uh one male one female and um it's been a go ever since then and um my first boy that very first boy he was my first carding llama so as time has gone by i have now i think seven llamas that i've taken from not knowing anything about driving llama pulling a cart to different levels. Um, yeah. God, I so, have so many questions. So, um, I know, me too. <laughs> okay. You go ahead. Okay. All right, so I got to ask you, uh, how strong uh, is a llama? Is it as strong as a small pony, or or could you put less weight in the car? I'm watching videos right now, and I'm very distracted because okay. it's mem- mesmerizing <laughs> watching this. So, <laughs> so um, the answer is they are not draft animals. 
And um, as a matter of fact, even as pack animals, they can't w- uh, carry pound per pound as much as, say, other pack animals can. So, you know, we limit it to uh, about 10 pounds per every 100 pounds of animal. So, you know, the good news is that I have some fat animals, so they can carry <laughs> more weight. But... um the cart itself is very balanced so that the majority is balanced. My weight is balanced over the wheels of the cart, not on the back of the llama. Yeah. And for that very reason, you don't ever ride a llama. And so that kind of segues into some of the challenges of driving a llama. So, um, so you you are have probably heard um some of the challenges with camels and their attitude. Yeah. And that <laughs> they spit. And um llamas are part of the camelid family. They can be ornery and they so so um the other part of it is that they aren't inclined to be close to you. So they have to be um, they, you really have to earn their trust. It's kind of like teaching a cat. All right. Llamas you know what? I feel like that too. I feel like llamas are like cats and alpacas are yep. more like dogs. Nah, no goats are like dogs. Oh, goats, goats. are like dogs. Yeah. That's why I like alpacas are just llamas with no brains. Um, All right. Please send your hate mail to Jennifer at horseradionetwork.com. She'll handle all the hate mail from from that particular community. Do they what what do they walk, trot, canter? What do they do there? I don't know. What gates do they have? Well, let's just say in the competitions, the judges will ask you. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's competitions? There's so much to talk oh, about you here. Got to, there's Man, I only oh. got you the best here. Vicky's a champ. <laughs> I didn't even know there was competition. This is so so let's go back oh, to the absolutely. gates. Let's start with the gates. What, what gate do they have? Well, um, they can do um walk, they can do trot, and they can do run, and they can do stop. <laughs> <laughs> and and so the judges would ask me with my particularly fat boy to change pace and he would go from walking to stop and they never seemed to consider that, you know, a change of pace, (laughs) but, (laughs) but that is the answer that I would give for that. But my current, my younger boy, and he is streamlined. He, um, he does do all three. He can go from just a walk to a trot to a full on gallop. And so, so How fast do they go it, when you're going full out? It depends on the llama. My <laughs> um, my my young one, went, as yeah. soon as he was born, he wanted to run, and so he can move. The boy can move very yeah. very quickly. And uh, have you ever heard of pronking? No. Okay. <laughs> I can't wait to magical. learn what it is. <laughs> okay, pronking is magical. Okay. Pronking is where llamas take all four feet and bounce up off the ground and come back down, kind of like Rue in um, Little Storyline Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, oh, you know, yeah. Kind of goes, I was doing, hoping that doing, 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 doing. 
Yeah, and you can drive that? You drive the cart with no, that? No. <laughs> no, you do not want to have that happen. But in their gates, they can do that. And so that is, you know, just one of those things to be complete in your answer of how many gates do they have? Well, yeah. that's one of them, but we don't do that in carting, much like the stopping is That'd a be part really of uncomfortable, the challenge change a gate. <laughs> <laughs> it would be... It would be rocking, yeah. you know? It would really be rocking. <laughs> now, I'm, but, I'm, uh, I'm looking. You drive pairs as well. Um, I, I'm seeing pairs. I do. Are there fours and unicorns and all of that like there are in horses? <laughs> well, um, I am probably currently the only person that I know of in the United States that team drives llamas. And... Um, as a matter of fact, the community of llama drivers is very, very small. No, right really? now in the entire, <laughs> yeah, in, <laughs> imagine that. Um, here in the Southeast, there are currently um, probably this coming up in the fall, we might have three people competing at, in the karting competition and um, in the entire Southeast in the entire Southeast for the past three years, there have only been two and, um, and well, there's three because I, my other older boy, my fat boy, yeah. he's, I leave him at home. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I yeah, want to drive a llama. Yeah, I, I need to, do to this. I, I know I need to do this. Um, tell us a little bit about their harness. Like, do they wear, do they have a bit in their mouth like horses? Ah, thank you for asking. This is another one of the challenges. No, um, llama's uh, halter and driving halter mm-hmm. is more like a hackmore in the horse world. There is no bit. Okay. And so you don't have that motivation for the llama to listen to you. Mm-hmm. And... um so it's just another one of the challenges of llama driving that, um, but the the easy, easy part is they're so smart. I mean, they are in- extremely intelligent. Mm-hmm. And once you get their trust, they are extremely loyal. So I'm going to tell you a little story about my fat boy. Um, his name is Mooch, by the way. So I'm just going to call him Mooch. <laughs> and... Um, at any rate, so I was at a parade, Christmas parade, and one year, and Moochie mm-hmm. doesn't like horses. He thinks they are extremely ugly and scary. <laughs> and so the parade being at night is always an element of challenge. Yeah. And so it was just my husband and I there. We were the only llamas that were going to be in the parade. And we uh, stage at an elementary school before they call us down to entering into the parade. Mm-hmm. And they always put the horses there, too. So Moochie was not happy about, oh, there's those horses again. <laughs> but they call us down separately from the horses. So we get called down to join the parade, and we're waiting. And my husband gets out of the cart to go find the gal that brings us in. And so Moochie and I are just sitting there, and it's right at the entrance to the parade start. And there's a crowd of people. And all of a sudden, 
we see this horse careening out of control, running down the street towards us and the crowd. And the rider obviously has no control over the horse. Mm -hmm. Now, there's another horse coming behind her, obviously, to you know, help out and rescue her. Right. And I feel through the reins, Moochie tensing up. And I said to Mooch, please don't kill me. (laughs) (laughs) And so so I said, let's, and I'm trying to keep my voice as calm as possible. Right. (laughs) And Moochie, let's turn. And I, as he's turning, I can see his eyes bulging out of his head. (laughs) And he pulled over to the side of the road, and that horse came careening down passes. The crowd parted for the horse to go through, and they got stopped with enough people around that horse. But Moochie protected me. He um, protected right. me. He did not, you know, go go crazy. Yeah. And I know and I know that otherwise, if it wasn't for the trust that I had built in him with him, that it would have been a bad situation, really bad situation yeah. for anybody, any kind of carting person. Right. 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 And, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, no that's, matter the that animal, happens. you know, yeah, my, yeah, when I, I mean, yeah. when you're telling that story, I thought, oh, I know exactly how you feel when you're sitting in the carriage and then you're like, don't kill me. <laughs> Because you're stuck exactly. There. I think my pony yeah. would have killed and me, so you did better. Yeah, um, you would have been. Killed. Yeah, I would have been dead. <laughs> and, <laughs> and therefore, that is, you know, the challenge of of carting because your feet are on the ground. Yeah. And and you know, even in the horse world, you can ride on a horse, and you but you have far more control there than you do when you're sitting in that carriage or cart mm-hmm. or wagon, yeah. right? Yeah. And and so um, that's why I am a strong believer. As a matter of fact, Moochie did not want to bond with me. And he is the most ground-driven llama in the world. I ground drove him for three years before okay. I was comfortable enough that we had established that relationship. And it paid off in the long run. And no. so while it's important. It's impressive for people to say, oh, I got jumped in the cart and my llama, my goat, my horse, my, you know, whatever, took to the carriage driving just like that. But without that bond, yeah. there is not, it, it, it'll come back to bite you sooner or later. Yeah. And it can be devastating. It can be devastating. So, Do you have to get llamas when they're, <laughs> do you have to get them when they're little babies um, to get them to bond with you or... Like, yeah, Moochie was three years old when I got him because we wouldn't start. My intent from the get go was to he was going to be my driving mama, you know, and um, so he he was three. But it did take me a long time to to feel that bond with him. And um, so I don't know. um, I, I. I, the, my current llama that is my competition that did so very well last year, um, in the competitions in all aspects, he, um, he was born on my farm, but <laughs> I still don't know that I have his stress because he's a dingbat. I mean, he is oh. a flat out dingbat. He, he is very smart. 
yeah. but he finds him. He enjoys finding ways to amuse himself. And so there's always that challenge of oh, what's Trevi going to do next when right. I'm in the cart. So, you know, <laughs> that's what like Glenn's ponies like. We have to go. <laughs> Glenn's ponies like that all the time. And he's like 14 or 15. Yeah, I know. I know exactly uh-huh. what that's like. So, <laughs> so before we run out of time, yeah. if somebody sure. wants to like Wendy just said, and Wendy has, she's like green acres down there in Sarasota. She's got everything. Um, and, I, is there an alligator in your pond yet? Have you? Yeah, I have an alligator. See? I've had an alligator the whole time. I've been I knew, down here. I knew that. So, uh, so she even has alligators, although she isn't driving it yet. But give her time. Um, I might. Yeah, so, <laughs> but she said, "I'm going to get a llama and drive a llama. I want to drive a llama." How do people go about if you if they want to learn how to do it? What do they do? Okay, um, you buy a book that you could. Um, and the book that I would recommend is uh, Llama Driving by Ron Shinnick. Ron is a Southern States person, and he is the father of cart driving in the Southeast. You can go on the SSLA.org website, and we have under the events page right now, there are four articles that will get you started in llama cart driving. And um, the third, the next thing that I would say is before you ever get into llama cart driving, you better have patience. (laughs) It is Uh a very, and, and time and time. (laughs) It is the most time consuming training that you could do with llama. And again, it's because your health and welfare is based on, on yeah. how well you train that llama. And um, so, but we have, we have a number of folks who were trying desperately to get more competition right. and um, get people involved. Well, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. And by the way, the website and, again is uh, SS, like Sam, Sam, org. SSLA.org. Where you can That's it. right. Southern States Llama Association. Well, I'm so happy that we have fellow tandem maniac Paul Van Sickle joining us. And he's here to tell us about his upcoming clinic with David Saunders at his farm. Welcome, Paul. That's great to be here, Wendy. Good to talk to you again. Yeah, it's great to talk to you too. And I uh, I saw your uh, ad on Facebook that you posted about this tandem clinic. I was like so excited to hear all about it. And it's so great that you have David Saunders uh, teaching that because uh, David has put together every kind of configuration known to man, I think. Yeah, he has. You know, it's funny. We we uh, we started um, with David probably about six months ago mm-hmm. and we we're having some issues with kind of some of the horses and trying to get the team right. We we're driving yeah. the four in hand and and I really wanted to learn how to drive English, drive Achenbach. And mm-hmm. I've been doing a bridge method for driving the four and driving the tandem. And the next thing I know, we're driving a tandem. I'm doing my English, you know, four in hand driving. And uh, we're doing it with a four in hand and with the tandem. And now we're competing a random. And it's just, he will take you to whatever level <laughs> you want to go. So you got to be careful with David. <laughs> I know you do have to be careful. And so, yeah. uh, Let's get the, let's, what are the details of this clinic? Like, do people show up and you all take turns driving your horses or they bring their own horses or? Um, this is kind of like the, the first step where we're really, 
we being um, in the driving community, uh, there's three or four of us that really want to try and promote tandem driving. And, mm-hmm. and you see a lot of it, but we don't, we don't, you don't see a lot of turnouts in tandem. Um, we have some folks like the Tuckweilers and ourselves and some other mm-hmm. folks that drive tandem and Gloria. And we have what we call a tandem Tuesday where we get together and drive Grand Oaks with, uh, with tandem turnouts. Right. And, but we don't see many people competing with them or, or just pleasure driving with them. So we're really trying to, to take a step towards promoting tandem driving. So in this case, we're, we're only going to take six entries. And, and those are folks you don't have to ever have driven a tandem before, but bring your turnouts. Mm-hmm. And then David will spend as much time as he needs with you to, to get you to the point where, uh, and you will get to the point where you're driving your two horses in tandem. He's that good. As you know, oh, that's great. So yeah. it's really, it's really, it's really just a, a an opportunity to promote tandem driving and try and try and grow it a little bit and cultivate it in the state of Florida. And what when is it? What what date? We're uh, we're going to start early on the first of August, um, and hopefully we'll do this quarterly, um, mm-hmm. if not oh, more. Because um, because when Gloria is out of town, um, she has a place in New York, then then we, we don't have our tandem Tuesdays. So, you yeah. know, you, usually we'll do that once a week. So, so during the summertime, she's gone. So we'll try and, and do more of these type clinics uh, um, in, in the future. Uh, the farm we're doing it at is uh, just outside of Palatka, west of Palatka, a little town called Grandin. And we have 370 acres and we're developing the trails. So, oh, so wow. once you're done with your tandem lesson, you're free to drive the, drive the property and just kind of enjoy that. So, we're, we really want to promote the sport of driving and in this case, uh, kind of focus on tandem. Um, now when, uh, are you taking auditors? Like can people come in and watch and come see what's happening? Yes, we are. Yeah. And we have had, had a, um, three or four folks already expressed some interest in, in coming and doing, uh, it's kind of a trade off here, you know, with the pandemic thing going on, but mm-hmm. we, well, social distance, and it's easy to do driving horses, so yeah. that's not a problem. And and we'll we'll uh, do respectfully um, do some do our social distancing that we need to do. But but yeah, no auditors are welcome, and uh, David welcomes them. And uh, we'll take uh, we'll we'll take each turnout at a time, and he'll work with them individually, and then go to the next turnout. And so it'll be an all day event. Um, but it's. Uh, it's really focused on on just a few folks in the beginning, and then we'll try and grow up from there. But auditors are welcome. You know why I was so intrigued about this clinic is because the hardest thing about, like, you know how you're saying you're promoting people to try a tandem. We all, like, want to try it, right? But you can't do it by yourself. And also, you yeah. don't know. There's all these little pieces of things you need to put the tandem together that you may or may not have. Or you, or you don't know how to put it together, or like somebody may have a, a really great solution for that. So I think auditors could get such a uh, so much out of just watching putting six tandems together. Oh yeah, I, I agree. And and David, as you know, you know him. He's just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. If he'll take a look at your turnout and your rig and go, just a minute, I'll be right back. And he goes yeah. into his his car and he pulls out something out of his haversack that yeah. that is a, a you know something that he has that that answers the, the the question or the problem that you might have with your with your harness and make the appropriate adjustments. It's just he's just fantastic. He's just phenomenal at that. So, and he's the right guy to to promote the sport. Um, we've got some great tandem instructors. We've got Sterling. He's fantastic. And mm-hmm. and uh, 
So it, it's a, it's a good opportunity. And, and we've got five entries already. So we have one more entry available and, and then, but again, um, auditors are welcome. And if you're wondering where Palatka is, it's between Ocala and St. Augustine. So you're a little south and west of St. Augustine on the coast there. Uh, so Palatka's right about that area. Yeah. 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 And it's actually, it's, um, we chose that, uh, that, uh, that we have two farms. We chose that farm um, because it is centrally located for the folks coming from from Fort White area. Um, we've got uh, Linda Jowers and her group up there, North Florida driving friends. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so it's, it's, and oh, it's fairly close to Ocala. Um, so there are a lot of driving people around there. So um, that's kind of why we, why we picked that location for the first one. You know what I think uh, is also going to be fun about all these tandems getting put together. It's like when you start out doing tandem, you know how like you just know which one's your leader and which one's your wheeler. But if you're new to yeah. tandem, you might pick the, you might say, Oh, I think this one will be a better leader because he's calm. And yep. the wheelers never yep. work out to be the leaders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you you're absolutely right. I mean, <laughs> you do. Yeah. And, and you, and you've got to know the personalities of the horses. Like you said, you, mm-hmm. you don't want somebody that's slow up front. You need to have somebody that's a little bit aggressive up there and have yeah. a solid wheeler. So it's, and, they, you know, people will talk about the difference between four and hand and tandem, and they ask, well, which is harder? And and because that lead horse can turn around, literally look you in the eye, um, tandem is very challenging. And so you've got you've to have a relationship, in my opinion, with your horse. And that's why we love tandem, because those horses trust us when we say walk on or trot or whatever and, and come right or come left. And, yeah. and it really is, uh, you really have to have a lot of trust in yourself and the horse's and have a, have a bond to be able to do this uh, and do it well. Well, Paul, where can, um, do you have a website or something where people can find you? Um, well, the best thing to do is just, uh, give me a call. Um, shoot me a Facebook, uh, a text message or, or a, uh, a PM message or something like that. And, mm-hmm. and I'll get, uh, I'll get back to you to give you more information. So we're really kind of going to school on this first one. And, and we'll refine it from there. But, you know, David is so good at this kind of stuff that he'll, he'll make it a success and, and uh, he'll know how, how far to let you go um, so that you don't get yourself in trouble. And then tandem <laughs> that is key. Well, we, we were wondering about David. I was thinking about him this morning. We haven't had him on the show in a while. I'm glad he's, he's, he's still out there kicking and doing well. Oh, he is. He's doing good. He's doing a lot with CAA and um, we've been working with him once a month for three days, he's uh, doing all different. He had us, we, we just got done with Southern Drive at Grand Oaks. And, and the last day he had a thing called the Tandare, which I'd never heard of. He said, we're going to drive a Tandare. Well, a Tandare is a pair and then a tandem out in front of that pair. Oh, my and, God. And we did our cross country <laughs> that way. And it was fun. I mean, the horses did great. But we'd never had a, you know, we'd never done anything like that before. Uh, but it was, uh, that's the kind of guy David is. <laughs> so we got two side by side and then two in front of each other in front of them. Yeah. Yeah. So basically like a it's a random, but, the, but the wheelers are a pair. Yeah, exactly. So, so awesome. And uh, the horses, yeah, the horses are just like, I don't know what we're doing today, but let's go. Uh, it was great. <laughs> And anybody, right, Paul, you, might have to be a, you might have to be a regular guest on yeah. the show <laughs> if you're going to do this kind of stuff. And if you're in no, Palatka, just, uh, we drive through there when we go to St. Augustine from Ocala, and we stop at the Hoot Owl Farmhouse every time we go because they have the best homemade ice cream in Florida there. 
It's really? right in Palatka. It's called the Hoot Owl Farmhouse. Um, we'll have to stop there. See, yeah. it's really good. It's like right on the main road there. Um, yeah, it's really uh-huh. good. So there's my, uh, that'll make you all hungry for ice cream right now. If you like coffee uh, ice cream, great. they have yeah, the well, best coffee ice cream right there. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's no calories in that. So. No, none at all. Thanks, Paul. Yeah. Are you going to, you're, you're going to come out and join us, right? I'm going to try. I'm going to try to get up there. Okay. Very good. Well, if you do, you're going to drive a tandem. Oh, okay. Great. <laughs> I love driving tandem. It's my favorite. <laughs> okay. Fantastic. Thanks, Paul. All right. Thanks. Okay, take care. Yeah, bye-bye. Coming up next is our traditional Chinese medicine segment with Dr. Wendy Ying talking about heat. Summertime, we always feature the Nushang Rusan. And that is our formula for anhydrosis or non-sweating. Oh, that's appropriate. And, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a thousand and degrees Florida, here. <laughs> yeah, in Florida, especially if you own a Frisian or a warm blood, um, when the heat and humidity gets super, super high, like right now it's hot even at nighttime when the sun goes down, horses will stop sweating. And we don't exactly know why, what the mechanism is is of anhydrosis, but in people, multiple bouts of heat stroke cause people to stop sweating. And it's because their sweat glands get kind of uh, overtaxed and then they don't respond the same way. And we think that ha- that happens in horses. So uh, Nusan Rusan is a blend of herbs and it's kind of interesting, the herbs, because um, I know these Chinese names make it seem like really like you know, way out there, but it's some common ingredients like the Shang Ru is Chinese for a plant that's called late summer mint. And it's like a wild mint. You might've even eaten this. Uh, they use it a lot in Vietnamese cooking. It's a, it's a Vietnamese mint. And in Chinese medicine, we think of it opening the exterior. So when you open the exterior is like, um, you know, when you eat hot chilies and you get all sweaty that's opening the exterior. So mint, just like we think when you eat a peppermint and you breathe in, you get that cooling sensation. So this mint is cooling. And then also it has a uh, loblob, which is uh, also called the purple hyacinth bean. And in the United States, a lot of people grow these as an ornamental plant. But in Asia, people eat this bean. And this is also thought to clear summer heat. And then we've talked about before, remember, um, honeysuckle flower and the forsythia fruit. Those are uh, our top herbs that are cold, and we use it to treat fever. And then magnolia bark is the last ingredient, and that also helps with fever. But uh, we use it in asthma because it opens the bronchioles. And anybody that has a non-sweater, you know, the first sign you see is they're panting in the heat. Because horses that can't sweat, their body temperature starts to rise, so they try to pant to expel some heat. One of the things that we do is food therapy. So, Glenn, remember one time I talked about the um, ice pops? You tried, remember yeah. you tried to make yeah. the ice pops? That's right, yeah. The alfalfa ice pops? Well, I have a new ice pop for this summer, and they're called 
Dr. Ying's watermelon rind pops. So watermelon rind in um, Chinese medicine is really cool. And I always recommend that to people. Oh, feed watermelon rind to the horses. And you don't want to feed them the red part. You know, that has too much sugar. But you want to feed them the white and the, you, they can eat the green outside. Um, but people always say, well, how do I do it? And I'm like, just feed them watermelon rind. But they always want some recipe. So I have a great recipe for this. You can quick pickle the watermelon rind, and then you can make it into a pop. So uh, have you ever had watermelon pickles, Glenn? No. You haven't? No, uh-uh. Oh, this is like a... Uh, they, they eat watermelon rind pickles in Asia, but also it's a southern delicacy, watermelon rind pickles. So what you do is you take the watermelon rind. After you've taken all your watermelon out, you can eat it or do whatever, you know, make watermelon juice. You take the rind part and you chop it into like little chunks, like two inch chunks. And then you take a cup of apple cider vinegar and a cup of water and a half cup of sugar and half cup of salt and one or two star anise pods. And you put that into a, a um, pot and you bring it to a boil, then throw all your watermelon rind in. Make sure it's all covered. If you have a ton of watermelon, you can double this recipe for more brine. But you just let it sit in there, you bring it back to a boil, and then you turn it off and let it cool. And now that's your quick watermelon pickle. Um, For the pops, what you want to do is, I like to rinse the brine off of the watermelon pickles, especially for the horses, um, so so it's not too salty and sugary. So you rinse off, the, drain the watermelon rind, rinse it off, and then I put... I cover it with water and then I add two cucumbers sliced in thin slices and one or two cups of torn mint leaves. And then you can, um, I always make my pops in these little quart deli containers, you know, those plastic quart deli containers. And, um, you put like some of this watermelon rind and the cucumbers and the mint in, into this container, put about half of the, liquid now I've made and then fill top the rest off with water and then freeze it. And then to feed them, you can put these pops in their water and it will slowly melt. And it, plus it will give them cool water huh. and horses actually love to play with it. If you wanted to, some people um, put a string in there and freeze the, freeze them and then hang them. So the horses can lick them. Skeeter but in Sarasota, <laughs> yeah, in Sarasota, they melt in like five minutes. So <laughs> we put it in the water, so at least they get some pickles. He would love this. I know it's really good. My horses love it because he loves the watermelon rind anyway. He he'd like eat, yeah. He would eat way too much of it if we let him. Uh, yeah, he would eat the whole watermelon. <laughs> but and you don't have to pickle it. You don't have to pickle the watermelon for the horses. You can just do a straight up watermelon and freeze it. Yeah, I worry but about him choking like, on the rind, like not eating it enough and choking it. Is that me being paranoid? No, they of course they could choke on it. So that's why you can chop it into pieces. Yeah, okay. This you is know. cool. So what are these called? These are uh, Dr. Ying's watermelon rind pickle pops. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and also always remember to provide a bucket of fresh water. Right. Whenever right. you flavor water, do a flavored water, always put an extra bucket just in case because they might not like the flavor and you don't want them to be without water. Hmm. That's so cool. Now, also, 
if you have one that don't drink when you're showing and you need right. to flavor the water, yeah. you know, a lot of people put in soda or Gatorade or whatever, but this yeah. is a good alternative. Jennifer's, uh, Nigel's very picky about going away and actually drinking anything. So she's had to make alfalfa water and he'll drink that. You yeah. Know, she takes alfalfa cubes and just, just lets them dissolve. He'll drink right. that all day long. We call that alfalfa soup, but and he won't even drink, and then she has to put the electrolytes in with the alfalfa, because electrolyte water he won't drink. He uh, won't? Nope, but he'll drink it, you know, if it's got, so she puts the alfalfa cubes, just enough to flavor the water, and then the electrolytes in there, and then he drinks it. But uh, I guess whatever you can do and to he, con him into drinking it. <laughs> yeah, if he doesn't like electrolytes, then he might not like the watermelon pickled, you know, oh, because pickling yeah. it essentially makes it an electrolyte. It's a watermelon Electrolyte. See, I should have put electrolyte in the name, so it sounds more scientific. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, now, <laughs> we started off talking about the new... Ru, Yang, Rusan? Nushan Rusan. Yeah. Uh, Nushan Rusan. So, yeah. and that's something. Is that a feed-through supplement? Yeah, that's a um, herbal formula that comes in granules, and you just put that on top of the um, food. Or a lot of times, I like to... Which I know you think this is weird, but I... Mix it into like a little paste with some water or some um, some oil, and then I put it in a lettuce cup, and then I shove it in their mouth. So I make sure they're getting it all. <laughs> now, I, both of our ho- horses have learned to love syringes full of stuff. Scooter oh, yeah. will attack you for whatever's in the syringe. Oh, um, that's good. And you could probably do that with this too if you made a a, a more liquidy paste. Yeah, these yeah. granules um, dissolve really easily. Um, and also the reason I like to do like what you're doing with the syringe or with like how I do the lettuce cup is because I hate, I hate when they leave stuff at the bottom of yeah, their bowl. bowl. <laughs> I feel like I'm paying so much money for these goddamn herbs or whatever, you know, you better eat it all. Well, uh, so where can people find the new? Uh, oh, the sorry. Nushan Rusan, which means new mint powder. Okay. That's what that means. Um, so I, I really, if my dad taught me how to speak Chinese, my life would be a hell of a lot easier right now <laughs> in my professional development, but it's not. But you can find it at drwendyying.com. That's drwendyying.com. Very good. Thank you for the Chinese medicine. Oh. Well, hi, Kitty. Welcome back to the Drive Radio Show. Hi, Wendy. Hi, Glenn. How's the training going over there at Tremont Farm? Well, actually, we've been pretty good. We have continued to train. Things have been backed off because we had nowhere to go, but we've continued to train and to work on some young ones and get stuff like that done. Yeah, it's a great time to work on your young ones, but I bet everybody's itching to get back out into the competitions. Well, it does look like they're going to start having some schooling shows and things are quietly starting to open up. So uh, we're going to have to get back to work. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I bet it's really hot up there in North Carolina, though. Like, Do you have any tips for people that are gearing up for, I mean, usually by the fall, you're like all fit and ready to go. Now it's kind of like... You know, so I feel like we're, I feel like essentially we're starting over. This is the beginning of our spring season, but in the summertime. 
So we need to be really aware of the heat and how your horses are handling the heat and then getting the fitness back with the added stressor of the heat. So everybody has to essentially start over. Maybe you did keep working your horses. We've been doing a lot of flat work. And now we need to start putting a little bit of distance and fitness on them. But on these hot days, you have to be aware of when and how you work them. Yeah. And especially with driving, I think, you know, when you're riding, you're getting hot and exercising too, but sometimes in driving, I mean, you're hot because of the outside temperature, but you're not exerting as much, uh, physical activity. So sometimes I think it's easy to forget how hot it is or how hot they're getting. Right. And as we trot along sitting on the carriage, we can create a cool breeze for ourselves. So Mm -hmm. we do cool down. So you need to think about that. And what we do is we take more walk breaks and let them catch their breath a little bit more. Try to work in the shade. We, yes, fine work earlier in the day, but I don't limit my working time to only early in the day because they actually have to get used to the heat a little bit. Yeah, that's true. Like what if you go to the show and your dressage time is like noon? Exactly. So they may have to work at noon. So I would take mine out fine if it's noon, like I said, a little more walk breaks and always making sure that in their stalls or their pasture, they have lots of fresh water to drink. And when it gets super hot, we're running maybe 90 right now mm-hmm. and not too bad. Our humidity is not bad at all, but making sure they also have some form of electrolytes, which we like to put in the feed so that we can make sure that they get it. But yeah. during this heat, that they're well hydrated and they have electrolytes. Yeah. Um, Do you uh, also find that like the footing is either, I I mean, in North Carolina, I'm kind of forgetting what your footing's like. Does it get extra hard and dry in the summertime? So we don't have that problem. We have enough of a sand clay base that Mm -hmm. even if it pours rain, it runs off and the footing stays quite nice. And then the other thing is this year we have had it like grassapalooza. We cannot keep up with the grass. So if you drive anywhere in fields or you have this unbelievable cushion of grass under the horse's feet. So their feet are doing great this year. Oh, that's good. In Florida, we're, we're super sandy, but I remember there's other places like around the country that the ground gets like rock hard. It's like working on concrete, you know, like when I was in California, the summertime, when you worked out of the arena, the ground was as hard as the, as the road. Yeah. So that is hard on them, but remember also then the carriage rolls quite easily. It's when the sand gets deep in certain places that it makes it very hard for the horses to pull the carriage. So that Mm. is harder work for them. So if you're aware of that and then say, work them some in the sand so they get stronger, but then allow them to have a chance to catch their breath, take a walk and then put them in work again. Well, Kitty, that sounds great. It sounds like you have a plan for keeping them in work and, and getting them back started. So, Um, I really hope we open up again soon. And, uh, will you be showing any this fall? Will you be showing any horses yourself? I think slowly as it's starting to open up, we're going to see what driving shows come up. I have a feeling it's going to be very limited on the driving shows, 
but we're hoping that we can offer our club can offer some derbies at the horse park, which would be super fun. Yeah. And um, some things like that. As far as I know right now, try on uh, Jennifer Matheson's show will be that one is for sure going in September. But as of yet, oh, that's, that's the only one really on the list. And will you guys be taking out any ponies this year? Oh, I'm sure you know us. We always have something going. <laughs> well, I'm excited <laughs> to see. I'm excited to see that. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, that's going to be it for this hot month in the month of July here in Florida. It has been a thousand degrees, literally. I think my thermometer <laughs> broke the other day. Um, and you're even further south than us. You must be really hot and humid down there. It's hot. Um, it's hot down here. Yeah, it's hot everywhere, I think, in the country right now. But if you want to find out, if you want to find more of the driving radio show and more of the segments, you have two options. You can go to horsesinthemorning.com, scroll down in the middle of the page, you'll see the driving banner. Just click on that. It'll take you to all the past episodes. Or you can go to drivingradioshow.com. You can find all the past episodes over there that we have done for the last 10 years. And as we said, we've talked about driving almost everything. So you can find that <laughs> over there. And all of Dr. Uh, Wendy Ying's uh, updates are on there as well. And they can find you at? At drwendyying.com. And you have, uh, does Dr. Wendy Ying have their own Facebook page? How do you do that? Is it under yours? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I have a Facebook page. It's Holistic Veterinary House Calls. Holistic Veterinary House Calls. And, of course, Holistic if you're in the Sarasota area, they can actually get you as a vet, can't they? That's right. And they just give you a call We do house calls, obviously. Yeah. We do house calls for horses, dogs, cats, goats, mini cows, <laughs> chickens. Have you ever worked on a llama? <laughs> no. Llamas actually don't like me. So this driving <laughs> thing is going to be hard. Yeah, that's going to be hard. They already said it's <laughs> tough that they don't like people. Well, now they're really but not going to like but, you. <laughs> but now I think I know why they don't like me. Because you're Remember a Remember Vicky said. Well, that, yeah, that's true. I have two strikes against me. But remember Vicky said they don't like horses? Oh, yeah, and you smell like horse all, all the time. The, yeah, and all the time I've seen llamas, I've been with my horse. Uh, yeah. Except for when I ride my bike by you're, the dude, llamas. You're going to get spit at. They're going to spit know. at you. <laughs> I would just imagine I'd be driving my llama, and then he would get pissed off at me, and he would lay down and then turn around and spit at me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's it for today. Thank you so much for joining us tomorrow. We'll be back. Jamie will be here, and we'll be doing some really bad ads, so please join us then. Take care. Bye. Bye.